Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Today, Mariana interviews Graham Maxton, whose new book, Change, is currently a number one Amazon bestseller here in Germany. He's a current member and former Secretary General of the Club of Rome, as well as an economist and lecturer. Previously a regional director with the Economist Group in Asia, Graham also spent many years with strategy consultancy Booz Allen Hamilton, as well as with Citigroup and American Express. In addition to Change, he has written two other best-selling books, The End of Progress and Reinventing Prosperity, co-written with our episode 15 guest, Jorgen Randers. When I went running for my daily run, uh, my concierge came uh, toward me and she said, oh, you know, I just purchased this great book by uh, the Club of Rome member, Graham Maxton. It's called Change, Warum wir eine radikale Wende brauchen. And she was so proud of it. So you're actually really, really famous in Germany. And uh, yes, so I'm, I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. It's all actually not just thanks to the book, but I, I did a... I did an hour-long television interview with something called Sternstunde, which is a philosophy program which is broadcast in Switzerland and Germany. And since then, um, my inbox has been flooded with people writing to me. And, um, and, and that's, I think, what's really led to, um, to such good sales of the book for the time being. So I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased. Yes, of course. And, you know, you have this beautiful talent of, of writing and communicating, which is what the Club of Rome needs, what we all need, those of us who really care about the grand, addressing the grand global challenges. So before we go into the details, I, mm. I just really want to know, you know, about your upbringing. What, how did you become such a force for good in the world? What happened in your life that put you on this path? Hi, um, well, I, I was born in Scotland, um, Uh, brought up there, um, and then um, after I graduated, I, I, I went into banking. I went into finance. Um, it was in the, uh, the mid 1980s, and um, it seemed like a, a good idea. So I joined American Express first of all, and then I did a, an MBA in London, and I joined Citigroup. Um, and that's before I joined um, Booz Allen and Hamilton and got into strategy consulting. But I was in the finance sector too. And after a few years in strategy consulting, uh, I then um, gradually worked my way into working with The Economist. And I worked uh, in Asia, in Hong Kong, and I lived in Singapore and Hong Kong and traveled across Asia. And it was really at that point that I began to ask myself whether or not all these things we were saying about the benefits of economic growth were, were actually true. Because, because The Economist is a very clear line that economic growth has brought enormous prosperity. But when I started traveling across Indonesia and Malaysia and, and Thailand and, and other parts in China, I could see that, that the benefits were not um, necessarily always positive, that a lot of people were living pretty miserable lives, actually, working very hard. They were, um, the air was polluted, the water was polluted. And so I began to question exactly what we were doing with this, this economic system. And that gradually led uh, to me writing my first, well, my first book about economics and to the Club of Rome and my deciding that I was going to um, take a different stance on, on, on human development and that the, the push for economic growth is not necessarily the best way for humanity to develop. I think we need to, we need to find a better way and that's what I'm working on now. Right. So give us a little bit 
uh, of insight into the top tenets of of let's start with one book at your choice. I was thinking of uh, reinventing prosperity, but we could go to change. What are the top, you know, 10, I know reinventing prosperity, there are 13, you know, what are the top tenants that you, uh, you're addressing? Well, I, I mean, I think first of all, we have to start off with, with what do we see as the problems? I, I mean, we need human development. We need to improve living standards uh, and we need to find a way to do that. And it's not necessarily that that has to come from economic growth because the problem with the, the, the system as it's currently set up is that economic growth tends to widen inequality. It, it makes income inequality greater. Uh, if you look at the, the total inequality in the world today uh, between the rich world and the poor world, it's bigger than it was 200 years ago in, in 1820. And, and the gap between the rich and poor within the rich world is higher or bigger than it was in 1914 before the First World War. So all this economic growth has actually widened inequality. Um, it's also, uh, in the long term, because it's based on improving productivity, it has a tendency to increase unemployment. So if you look in the rich world uh, in the last 25 years, we've had very high rates of, of economic growth, but actually unemployment has gone up. And, and it also has not done a huge amount to, to alleviate poverty. Um, if you take out China, which is really a different story, the level of poverty in the world is not greatly improved in the last 30 years, despite what the IMF might say. And then, of course, the other big problem with the, the, the current approach is that it's destroying the planet. It's, it's, it's pushing through so many resources, which requires energy, which creates the two and the other greenhouse gases. And so we're creating climate change. So uh, that's, that's where I, I start from. And then, OK, what do we do to, to fix that? And we have to find a mechanism to... I mean, the Reinventing Prosperity, the book I wrote with Jürgen Randers, was about how do we shift the economic system in, in a way that it's not incredibly disruptive to, to find a, 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 a better balance where you redistribute the, the, the wealth more, where you slow down the pace of, of climate change, and you can move the economy slowly onto a better pathway. The, 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 the new book is, is, takes a much more radical approach. So give us some insight on that, because, you know, obviously this is goes so much of what you just said uh, goes against the, the core beliefs that the society has at, at large, globally even. So, it, you yeah. know, nature, the first law of nature is you either grow or you die, but nature grows in a sustainable way, whereas economic growth, uh, you know, occurs not in a sustainable manner. So stopping from growth, it seems like, counterintuitive, so to speak. So give us a little insight as to what you exactly mean. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and that is, um, I mean, I don't want to get into sort of heavy philosophy, but... Um, but it is important. There, That's why we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, there are a number of thinkers who, who go back to the 1930s. But I particularly um, think of Antonio Gramsci in, in Italy, uh, but also Zizek today, um, who, who is a, a very vocal on this whole issue, that we, we have a worldview. We have a, a picture of, our, of, of the world in our heads, uh, which is today fundamentally wrong in many ways. Uh, this belief that economic growth leads to uh, a, a, a gradual increase in living standards was once true. It was true after the Second World War, uh, but it's no longer true. The belief that small government is actually better, the belief that in the individual matters more than the group. There's a number of, 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 of beliefs that we have today which 
are fundamentally wrong. And, 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 and so you're right. I mean, everybody thinks that economic growth is essential and everybody thinks that small government is good and that individuals are more important than society. And, and so that leads us to this, what's called the historical block, which is this, this collection of ideas, this web of ideas, which we've formed in the last 20 or 30 years and which we need to try and change. Uh, now, my argument is that to try and change that will take a long time because it's taken a long time to get us into this situation. And in the meantime, we have to stop climate change, which is why the new book is saying, look, forget all these complicated issues about trying to change values and trying to change the way we view the world. Let's just stop climate change and not do anything else for the time being. Right. So how do we stop climate change while yeah. facing exponential everything? Exponential yes. tech and all of the stuff that, you know, and everyone is, you know, AI and everyone is looking forward to, you know, getting the new gadget and so on and so on. So these are two things that somehow, you know, if nature doesn't force us to stop, we need to reconcile because we are intelligent enough to address the grand global challenges in a smart way. Yes. I mean, my view on all of those things like artificial intelligence and, and, and technological solutions is that they have a role to play, as indeed does the finance community. And perhaps we can talk about that shortly. Um, but that, that what we must do, first of all, is, is stop these greenhouse gas gases being emitted. We have to we have to reduce them progressively over the next 20, 30 years. And that will be incredibly disruptive. So we have to, to go through a period of disruption and gradually work out what we want from a better economic system and then begin, uh, begin again. But what we, what we have to do, and we have to do this regardless of what this means for, for growth, for, for trade, for business, is we have to stop producing CO2 uh, um, and the two other main greenhouse gases, methane and, and uh, nitrous oxide. And we have to do that um, and the only way we can do that is really through through regulation. We have to um, reduce the number of cars we use, reduce the number of flights we take, uh, cut out the coal and gas industry. And we, we, we have about 20 or 30 years to do that, but, but it will be very disruptive. And we have to do that uh, regardless of the consequences, unfortunately. If we don't, then, then we're in real trouble. Yes, I couldn't agree more. My model in investing is a model that actually helps people save money save everything, yep. save resources, save, uh, you know, and, and it gets you further with less resources. However, nobody uh, is interested in that. Nobody is interested in, in saving, doing less. So people just mm. always, it's human nature, want to do more. So the big question is, and uh, I mean, <laughs> we're all in the same boat, as you know, we're mm. all trying to do our best in trying to shift the systems. How do we go about that? There are two things. One is that, you know, we need to address. One is the regulation. Um, you know, how do we... Um, in, empower people to wake up and, and decide by themselves not to do the wrong thing? And uh, how do you get to the politicians and so on? And, and the other is um, in terms of reducing uh, you know, CO2 emissions. And the other is how do we change the financial system that is, is actually helping, uh, encouraging people, measuring money managers to by by bringing in more profit at the expense of all the other you know the climate and the social and so on so how do we change these two things it's just um, the, the big question 
I mean, it is a big question, and it's a question that the Club of Rome and and uh, and people like you and me have struggled with for the last fifty years, and and not really been terribly successful in coming up with a solution. But first of all, I think we need to dispel the myth that that as individuals we can make this change happen. That that through you know, recycling our bottles, or driving less and taking the train more, or um, using less plastic packaging, we're somehow going to save the world. That's not going to work. It, it needs a much more radical change than that. So, you know, we didn't we didn't create the problem. We didn't build all these coal, oil, and gas power stations. Uh, it's the people that did that have to stop doing that, and so it, that requires political pressure. So, what we can do as individuals is help convince the politicians that they need to change the playing field. Uh, it needs to be changed by everybody. Otherwise, some countries will have disadvantages, and 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 others will have advantages in the short term. So, it requires us to bring political pressure and awareness to the politicians so that they make the changes that are necessary. Now, then, the question is: Well, how do you do that? Exactly. Where do you do that? <laughs> and 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 to me, I, I mean, in 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 my travels around the world and my experience in the last few years, there are some people, some groups of people that understand the problem better than others. Uh, I think particularly of the the German-speaking world, Germany, uh, Austria, perhaps parts of Switzerland, where there's a a much higher level of of ecological awareness and a much greater sense of wanting to cooperate together for the benefit of society. And I think more of a a willingness to take short-term pain. So uh, the German-speaking world, Scandinavia, uh, perhaps some other parts of Europe, um, the Chinese, the Chinese, although they're the world's biggest polluters, they also understand this problem better than most uh, for, for different reasons. But they, I mean, Xi Jinping has talked about building an ecological civilization. And so they are also serious about trying to, to make change. The the Catholic Church, uh, the Pope, uh, as you know, um, Mariana, we worked with, with the Vatican a few years ago and, and helped support that Laudato Si um, paper that was put out, the, the encyclical. It's clear that the Pope also, the Catholic Church, clearly understands the problem. So uh, if we can bring together some of the organizations, some of the countries and some of the individuals that begin to that they want this change, that understand this change, then perhaps we can create some sort of momentum which will impel others. Unfortunately, very few of the people that understand the change are in the English-speaking world for the time being. But but we can bring together the others, then perhaps we can we can you know set off some sort of chain reaction. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not saying it's easy. But it's but it's certainly the best way that I can see forward from from where we start. Right. So it is a leadership issue to begin with, not necessarily at the individual level. So what the Germans do, whether they separate their, um, recycle their, their garbage or not, is less important that, uh, you know, than what the Chinese government does to move uh, one point, whatever, five billion people in the right yeah. direction. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, even even if all of the rich world turned vegan and stopped using their cars and recycled everything and lived as, as as sustainably as possible, that will not change the outcome because we've got another 7 billion people who are increasing their ecological footprint. So it's not enough for the rich world to do, to do it right. Uh, but I think it's enough for the rich world to set an example which others can follow. Right. So now, um, so you think it's, we need to become better at influencing the decision maker, the regulators, the politicians? Yes, I, I, and that's also difficult. But you can see already there's a, there's a growing activism in, in the United States, actually, with people who are um, 
actually you know turning off the taps on the oil pipelines and trying to disrupt the oil sector and they are bringing pressure to bear on the politicians and there are a number of legal challenges to the, what the politicians are doing and the same thing is happening in other countries as we see you know, more fires like we have seen recently in california with with so many people dying or in greece this year or business being disrupted in Germany because the, the level of the, the Rhine is too low to allow boats to go up and down, or storms which are you know, destroying parts of first world cities like Hong Kong. As, as these storms grow, or as these problems grow, I think we will see uh, more people demanding change. And that's when I think we can, we can hope that uh, the politicians will start to listen. Right. So now coming back to the financial world, this is a podcast yes. that addresses the investment turnaround, which uh, which is the reason why I have chosen this particular topic, not because I'm a serial entrepreneur turned investor, but because I believe that money is at the core of uh, how our money makes the world go around. That's still right. Uh, not yeah. really necessarily uh, okay, but that's what it is. How can we influence investors, which are the main audience of this podcast, to... Mm-hmm move their money in the right direction and with the right set of criteria to bring about change, which would be, in this case, more of a top-down, a bottom-up approach. Those of us who have uh, reached a higher level of consciousness and understanding of what needs to be done. So how, you know, what is the message that you have for our listeners and investors who want to do the right thing? How can they do that? I think this, I mean, there's three three messages I would I would have for for people in the investment community. Uh, the first one is that, and this is not so much a a, a a positive message from a moral point of view, but it's certainly a financially wise message, which is that there will be a lot of money to be made from adaptation, from from moving cities from from coastal areas from dealing with rising numbers of migrants from from places like North Africa, uh, from dealing with the rising number of fires in places like California. I mean, the cost of dealing with the fires in California is now 10 times greater than it was 30 years ago. Uh, so, so there's increasing demand for, for a lot of products, which will, which will be used by governments and by companies and by individuals to try and adapt to climate change. Uh, so I, there are certainly opportunities there. Um, but they're not necessarily going to make the situation better, but they're certainly going to make a profit. The second thing I'd say is uh, get out of things that are are, are troublesome. Uh, I think everybody knows that being in coal, oil and gas is a bad idea because uh, we at some point have to make a decision to, to stop uh, close these industries. And so there's a risk of stranded assets and a great deal of value being lost. But I think it extends far beyond that. It's not just coal, oil, and gas. I and mean, if you're investing in the automotive industry, including uh, to some extent electric vehicles, uh, if you're invested in cement, in steel, in plastics, in in chemicals, uh, in aviation, in airlines, I mean, all of these businesses are going to have to go through a radical downsizing at some point. And the people that are running these businesses that are responsible for the CO2 uh, and those who are investing in them uh, are are likely to be in the firing line at some point. I mean, they will, they are liable for for the problems that we're creating. So I, I would caution about investing in any of these areas. And then the third thing, and I think this really gets to the, to the centre of your question, Mariana, is 
I was at a, a very interesting meeting in, in Zug about 18 months ago where seven of the world religions came together with the finance community to try and see what they could do to make a better world. And of course, the world's religions are often very rich and they have a lot of money to invest. And they asked the question, what can we do? How can we invest even if we don't make a profit? It, it's, it's much more kind of philanthropic approach to where can we help make the changes that are needed to put us onto a better path. So I would say to your, your, your listeners, you know, make your money, do, do what you need to do to, to make your profits, and then use that money to do good, to try and shift the needle in the right direction, to support those who are trying to, to, to do that and to, you know, to, 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 to leave a better legacy. Yes. So from what I heard is, is either or. Uh, from where I stand, you know, in terms of your advice, from where I stand, I believe that there is a, a, a way for already converted investors, we call them integral investors, not impact investors, because in, in the German-speaking world, impact means social, and uh, that uh, the interest is for us to move traditional investors toward a more integrated way of sustainable way of investing. Um, so our, our approach is to invest and do good and, you know, integrate the philanthropic approach. So everything that you, with the traditional investing, so every investment can be made into an integrally sustainable investment so that you could preserve your capital. We all need money to pay our bills, uh, not necessarily give it away as you would do at a large scale, you know, with, with philanthropy, but invest in a way that is sustainable and that maintains, that preserves your capital so that you can, you know, work with it further and build further, you know, do the projects that you want to do. So I don't believe in, personally that it is an either or. You either, you know, move your money to do bad or you give it away to philanthropy. We have identified and, you know, that's what we've done for the past 30 years, a much better, more integrated way. That's why we call it integral investing of preserving capital and, you know, applying the sustainable development goals to make the transition feasible. And I think you're right. I think these opportunities do exist, and I think you know, I, I, I fully respect what your what, what, what your approach there. I think they are not the majority of opportunities. I mean, I think the biggest opportunities, the biggest changes that need to be made, will not be profitable. Uh, but there are certainly areas where you can do good and make good business, uh, and and that is a tremendous opportunity. I mean, to, to some extent. The investment community is is like everybody else, trapped by the system. Um, that that if you make an investment and you make a, a a lower return from a from a good investment than from a bad investment, so you make a you know a lower return from investing in green economic businesses as compared to investing in dirty economic businesses like coal and gas, then it's difficult to attract more funds because because it's the returns that actually matter at the end of the day. And, and that's, I think, where I, I see the, the limits here, that, that it has to be as profitable as the dirty investments, otherwise people, people are, are losing out. And that's exactly the point that we need to address. Define return, yeah. define profit, because this is not true. Yes, the majority of investors, because they don't are not aware of the um, better opportunities out there, focus on profit because, as you said, we've been conditioned and trapped by the old system. But yeah. if you 
meet and talk and, you know, move yourself as uh, we do in an environment where money owners, not money managers, because money managers get measured by profit. So they don't even, they do what they do because they're employed to do that, you know, bring about the highest profit possible. But if you talk to money owners, the story looks so different. Most of the people that we are involved in, they don't want to make a 20% whatever. I mean, they're happy with, you know, one or 2% or sustaining their, uh, their money. So for f- future generations. And so that the story at this level is much, much different. And these are the people who are actually currently moving the needle because they do care. They have seen the schizophrenia between traditional investing where you uh, maximize your profits and philanthropy where you give the money away. They have found a way to integrate the two, to get rid of schizophrenia. And this is where our hope comes in. And these are the people that are currently transforming the system. No, I, 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 I completely share that hope. I, um, a, a number of people um, with, with that sort of background were at this meeting that I was at in Zug, and they want to, to shift the needle, and it's their own money. It's not, it's not money from, from other sources, and they, they really can have a positive, positive effect. And this is what, you know, what we're doing, what we're doing, this is what the investment vendor is set about to do, is to aggregate, to bring about, you know, to connect these money owners to reach the tipping point. As we know, transformation occurs at about 10 to 11 percent, you know, where the mindset changes. And then all of a sudden, everything is self-understood. So that's what I believe, a bottom-up approach, you know, uh, bypassing the regulators and the governments who move much slower can actually bring about the change that we all need. Because people wake up and say, well, what we're doing is stupid, is schizophrenic, is sick. I mean, I, I think uh, it takes a different mindset from the investors as well as from 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 those that are that are leading the the economic system. I, I, we are approaching what was what was predicted in in the limits of growth. I mean, it's it's a it's a crisis, and the the system is is collapsing. The human economic system is collapsing, and we can see that through through things like climate change. And and those who can help us shift the system onto something more sustainable, which can avoid a lot of the problems that are likely to come along in the future, you know, that that those those are the people we need. Yes. So this, you know, we, what you just said brings me to the next question. So we just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Club of Rome uh, at the Vatican, and uh, so in your view, what is our greatest accomplishment? And what can the Club of Rome do better moving forward? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's to me absolutely clear. The greatest, the greatest accomplishment was the limits of growth in 1972. It, it was an historical book which has had a groundbreaking impact. Um, it, it wasn't understood for a long time. Uh, it was mocked for many years, but it's quite clear that, that, that the book was fundamentally correct in what it said 50 years ago, or nearly 50 years ago. And it it is still very readable. It is a still excellent book uh, for anybody to read today to understand the situation we're in and what the potential options that, that face us are. So I still think that's the most important thing that Club of Rome has done. And it's terribly difficult to, to, to do better than that because it really is, it, it's, it's an historical book. Uh, 
the, the, the kind of you are doing some, it. You are doing a great <laughs> job. <laughs> I, believe me, I would love to do one percent of what they do because they really do something fabulous. Um, I, I, you know, the, the Club of Rome to me has a has a very interesting challenge. We need the Club of Rome today more than perhaps ever before because the membership of the Club of Rome understands these problems. They understand the long term holistic. Um, structure of the problem uh, it, far better than almost anybody else. I know that sounds slightly arrogant, but it's it's still true. Uh, and we need the message of the Club of Rome. We need its understanding and we need its vision. Um, what we need to do, in my view, is is come together and have a clear position and message that we can deliver. And 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 the problem I see today is that we're as a club we have too many. Too, we all understand the problem, but we have too many solutions, and that's. That's, that makes it difficult to to, to um, make public headway. So in terms of picking top three solutions, which ones would you address first? And 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 you know, just and how would you go about implementing them? Because this is the key. The problem is there are too many ideas and too too they're too complex and too hard to yep. implement. And if you look at politicians who actually have the means to change the regulation, they need it presented in a very simple, easy way. So what are the top three things that we should propose and go about implementing? I mean, if you'd asked me this a couple of years ago, I'd have said you know, implementing something like the circular economy or changing the economic system or changing the values or presenting a positive narrative or impact investing. or I, But now I say none of that, none of that at all. The only thing we need to do is stop climate change. That is the most important thing by far. We have probably 12 or 15 years before we kick off a chain reaction, which will make, which will be impossible to stop. So the only message is stop climate change, stop producing those gases and reform the agricultural sector, shut down the coal, oil and gas industry. That's all you need to do. And then we can begin to move on to a better path. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And as you know, there are so many books written about this this topic as to how to stop climate change. And as you know, Drawdown, for instance, is a, is a good example that we choose to present, uh, you know, has identified that the top two areas that we need to, we could, uh, we should be addressing in order to stop climate change is one, girls' education, and number two, family planning. Now... Yeah. How can we, from the West, you know, do that? I, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not saying these are unimportant issues, but I'm saying that they pale into insignificance beside the problem of, of climate change. We we have to deal with all these problems, but 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 we have yeah, to deal yeah, with these problems. Yeah, but the climate change. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm miscommunicating. Yeah. In mm. order to address number two topics that would help mm. us address climate change are. Mm girls' education, and family planning. If we address that, we will address climate change. This is what the scientists tell us. Yes, but, but, but both of those things will take time, and uh, we don't have that time. We, we, you know, we, have to, we have to bring in legislation to reduce the number of cars in use, to reduce the number of flights, to reduce the number of ships by 35% in 10 years and by 80% in 20 years. We ha so we have to stop using cars, we have to stop using ships, we have to stop using aircraft at that sort of rate. It doesn't matter what else we do. We just need to stop producing these, these, these emissions. We need to shut down the coal industry first. We need to shut down the oil and gas industry afterwards. And we need to invest in, in renewables. Everything else comes second. 
But that's what we need to do. We need to bring in legislation to shut these industries down. And that's the only thing we need to do. Okay. So what comes, what replaces then? Because the economy goes further, you know, it needs to move. The economic engine needs to continue. Mm. And that Mm. is actually based on the current fossil fuel-based industry, everything that we do. So how can we bring that about? What are the alternatives? Okay. I mean, I, Without creating I think, poverty. Yeah, I mean, I, this is where I think, um, I, this is why my this YouTube book is so radical. <laughs> I'm asking I you to solve you know, these, Graham. <laughs> <what's that? laughs> I, I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, the choice is between you know, maintaining the economic system we've got today and and, and making sure that we, we, we have a smooth transition or uh, really moving to a situation where the survival of most of us is in question. And, and I don't see that it's possible to, to move to a, 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 a different system without massive disruption any longer. It, it's too late. It, 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 30, 40 years ago, when Limited Growth was published, it would have been possible to move to a sustainable system without painful disruption. But right now, that's not possible any longer. And I understand that's a very difficult message to understand or accept. It's, it's a very controversial message, but I promise you that in five or 10 years, everybody will be saying the same thing. No matter what it does to the economy, no matter what it does to growth, no matter what it does to business or trade, we have to stop producing these greenhouse gases because there is no alternative. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you here. <laughs> the reason why I keep pushing <laughs> is, you know. I, you know if, if, I mean, if you think about it, if we need to reduce the amount of emissions by 3% a year, which is what we'd have to do to have no emissions in, 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 in 20 years, so 3% a year, because GDP and emissions are so closely tied, that means that to reduce emissions by 3% next year means to shrink the economy by 3% and then 3% the next year, and then 3% the next year. So in three years, you'd have an economy which is 10% smaller if you want to reduce the emissions without, without having some alternative, some alternative way to do it, and we don't have that today. So we're talking about a really radical, difficult change, which is going to be very economically disruptive for a short time, or we're talking about a, a, a catastrophe which is beyond our imagination. So it, there is no easy way forward here. It's, it's, it's some tough decisions, and some pain, or something even worse. I, 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 you know, it's not it's not a happy message, but that's where we are. Right. So uh, I'm. Um, <laughs> I hope <laughs> I hope we're wrong. <laughs> and uh, you know, so, I hope I was wrong too, but I, I don't think I am any longer. No, I, I agree with you. And uh, so the, the next question is: How can we make the transition as smooth as possible? Uh, one is, of course, it only requests. of the global GDP to address climate change. Um, The other is, what is the role of technology? As you might have heard, uh, Y Combinator, one of the top Silicon Valley um, investors network uh, that brought about uh, Uber and um, Airbnb and so on, have just called for a moonshot for uh, the next unicorn that addresses climate change, you know, and, and uh, performs carbon sequestration. So even yeah. Silicon Valley has uh, gotten the message. So there is some stuff going on. Question, how do you see the technology? How is, in your view, is the technology uh, able to enable that smooth tra- smooth transition and, and, and reduce the pain somehow? Yeah. What is your view on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think just just your first point. I mean, one of the most important things we need to do is, is become realistic. And today, I don't think most people are realistic. They don't understand the scale of the problem or the urgency. And so a lot of it is going to be about helping people understand and helping people stay positive in the face of what's going to become quite scary. So I think, I think realism is much more important than optimism at this point. When it comes to technology, technology has a vital role to play in, in, in shifting to a low-carbon economy, for example, in carbon capture, which is going to be essential now for, for decades to come if we're to stay below one and a half degrees. And that's a, a fairly underdeveloped uh, technology today. Uh, and so I think I mean, there is a clear role that technology can play. But, but technology is not, is not the answer because technology is not the problem. This is a social problem. It's a political problem. It's, 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 it's humanity coming together to make some decisions which are pretty tough to change the way it lives today. And that's going to be disruptive. And it's, it's, so it's, it's about political will. It's not about technology. But the, the, the idea that we're going to have some, some technological magical solution like some Hollywood hero who's going to come and save us is unfortunately a false one. And, and the more we keep thinking in that way, the more we delay doing what's actually necessary, which is to, to, to make some political decisions. That's what we need to do. Yes. And the next question is, you say technology is not the problem. Well, it is technology that brought us about, uh, you know, the technology that brought the, the fossil fuels out of the earth and put them, you know, put the carbon in the atmosphere. So maybe there is, and I'm, 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 I'm an optimist. Uh, I'm an evolutionary. <laughs> I never give up. <laughs> no, I, I know that. I mean, there are two causes of this problem. There are two causes. One is, is, is the rapid growth in the human population, yes. which has more than doubled in the last, as you know, in the last 30, 40 years. And the second thing is our economic system, which is based on increasing the throughput of resources, which requires ever more energy, which creates ever more greenhouse gases and which causes climate change and environmental destruction. So unless we change the economic system and unless we slow the rate of population growth, we will not solve this problem. Technology might buy us some time. It may be able to to, to to re reduce the amount of emissions in the atmosphere for 20 years. But unless we change the fundamental causes of the problem, we can't move ahead. Yes, which brings us back to technology. I won't give up on this, Graham. <laughs> Healthy population can be addressed with education uh, through technology. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this brings me back to the drawdown top two issues to address, uh, you know, uh, not issues, uh, top ten, uh, two topics to address uh, climate change, girls' education, which, uh, you know, can be accomplished with technology, given, you know, and there are several things we, we could do, um, you know, talk about, um, you know, in developing countries, give them an iPad and educate them and giving them the technology to uh, perform family planning, which is number two. So that is technology again, you know, help those girls get educated through technology fast. Everyone, you yeah. know, there are 3 billion <laughs> smartphones in the world and people get educated through their uh, smartphone. And number two, family planning, you know, give them, uh, you know, the technology again to uh, only have the kids that they want. So I'm... Uh, uh, yeah. I I, I, I fully agree with both of those statements. The only, the only thing is a question of the timing. We, we have uh, nearly 8 billion people in the world today. It's increasing by 100 million a year. 
if you start educating all these women in, in, in the world who, who should be having fewer children, that will take time before it has an effect on the total number of people alive. And we have, as I said before, between 12 and 15 years to stop a chain reaction. So we have to live with what we've got and start with where we are. But certainly in the long term, we need to address the problem of population because if we don't, then, then nature will, will, will fix it for us. Yes. Yeah. I know. So where can people uh, go to learn more about your work? Okay, so um, GrahamMaxson.com uh, is uh, a website which has got some details of my book and what I'm doing. Um, the new book is currently only available in Germany. Um, and I, um, I'm not going to have an English edition for the time being because I don't want to have the... I think the German-speaking world is ready for this message, and I'm not yet sure that the English-speaking world is unfortunately ready for it. So um, it's it's only available in German for now. But if anybody's interested, they can write to me, and um, I can give them more details uh, on the book in English. Brilliant. How do you want to be remembered, Graham? What kind of huh. impact do you want to have in the world? Yeah, that's a tough one. But I can say that I genuinely did everything possible to avoid what I see as a as an existential crisis uh, that that I at least um, did what I could to stop it happening well that's beautiful and you are doing a great service to humanity it's an honor and a privilege to know you and uh, I'm looking forward to co-creating with you and uh, helping alleviate the transition to a better world and uh, thank you so much for being on our podcast it's an honor and a privilege thank you mariana i look forward to working with you as well as you know thank you we hope you enjoyed this podcast episode for more information about graham maxton visit grahammaxton.com that's g-r-a-e-m-e-m-a-x-t-o-n.com to find out more about dr bosazan and how to get involved with the investment turnaround visit investment-turnaround.com.